Asia Pacific Currents. News and labour issues from the Asia Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock on Community Radio 3CR. Workers of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. Good morning and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents this Saturday the 14th of May here on Community Radio 3CR. I'm Giselle Hanna. And I'm Pierre Morrow and I'm back from a little uh, jaunt uh, to a very important uh, <laughs> yes. conference. Tell, wasn't it? tell the listener, you might as well have called it a junket. <laughs> I uh, see listeners that uh, um, regular listeners would know that the level of uh, abuse uh, that you're subjected to. That's of correct. That's right. I but forgot. seriously, comrades, my name is Pierre, and we will bring you next week's uh, program will be an interv- uh, a rundown of the Labor Star conference that I did attend last weekend. So, in all seriousness, that's right. Pierre did attend Labor Star in Canada. Most of you, many of you, might in fact get your daily news from uh, the Labor Star website. We did present our global picket line um, workshop in at that particular conference. So um, many of you will know that that's a um, cornerstone piece of work that we're um, doing across the region at the moment. And um, of course, uh, on today's program, you'll hear all all the latest updates of a number of uh, labour struggles and issues around the Asia Pacific region. If you want to know more about uh, more information, you can go to our website, www.aaw.org.au, or our Facebook or Twitter accounts. And the main interview today, Giselle? Our feature story this morning, I had the opportunity to speak with Arnel from the Labor Party of the Philippines about that um, massive industrial action that we've been reporting on in the Cavite Export Processing Zone. Um, and this concerns a factory, Sonyong Technology, where uh, last week we reported that the workers occupied the factory. So um, uh, we'll let you know where that struggle is at in the second part of the show. All right, that sounds very interesting. So um, we'll go straight to the um, to the news items. Where well, the first news item is actually from the Philippines, a bit of a sad one. It's the first year anniversary of the Cantax factory fire, where uh, just over a year ago, 72 workers uh, burnt to death in the Cantax factory. They were making um, um, flip-flops or thongs. That's correct. The um, now the um, Kilosung Mayo Union, the KMU, who's the union who represents the the workers and their families, has said that um, one year after the this factory fire, justice remains elusive for the victims' family and survivors. With government policies regarding contractualization and workplace safety remaining the same as they were before. Um, the the leader, the chairperson of the KMU, uh, Elmer uh, Kabong Labog, said the country's justice system and the government make it very clear that they consider workers' lives very cheap. Justice for the victims and survivors is being denied and lessons from the tragedy remain unheeded. So obviously the, the fight um, um, for justice continues and um, criminal charges um, against the owners are still to go through the courts in the Philippines. And actually that figure of 72 is a, a bit of a misnomer because they the authorities just stopped counting at 72. They decided too many bodies, we don't want to keep counting. So um, outrageous. There were probably hundreds of workers and children that died in that factory. 
Moving now to Australia, around 50 workers employed at the Bitsa cooling equipment plant in the west of Melbourne, Australia, are now on their sixth week of their indefinite strike. They've taken action to resist the company's attempts to reduce leave days, reduce redundancy payouts and introduce differing rates of pay for workers doing the same job. This strike has important ramifications for other workers in similar manufacturing companies as employers try to make workers pay for the ongoing capitalist crisis. And uh, people can go on the AMW website to see the address of that factory and uh, go and drop in and say hello to those um, workers. So all the best to you, comrades. Uh, we go to Pakistan now, where just very recently there was the murder of uh, Kuram Zaki by a man in Karachi. Um, Kuram Zaki was a um, human rights um, activist. Uh, Kuram Zaki was killed in Karachi by unknown assailants in an attack that also left a journalist dead and a bystander critically injured. The Awami Workers Party has condemned the uh, assassination of uh, of right activists like Kuram Zaki, and um, and says this is part of a uh, overall attack on progressives in um, in Pakistan. Um, the Awami Workers Party goes on to say in their statement that it's a travesty of justice that the police and security security authorities continue to turn a blind eye to the rampant violence of right wing militant groups. The um, the forces of fascism in uh, Pakistan. Uh, state and society will continue to violently repress and silence progressives, ethnic and religious minorities, working classes and women in in Pakistan. We need to organise ourselves into a mass political um, force. Um, The AWP goes on to say that that we, in a collective sense, the, the left, has to evolve our politics beyond just speaking out and actively rebuild progressive institutions of organised collective action across Pakistan to face the ongoing onslaught of the forces of fascism in Pakistan. Moving now to Cambodia. Earlier this week, eight human rights activists were arrested by police in Phnom Penh. All eight of them were attempting to join a demonstration that had been organised to protest against earlier arrests of human rights activists. These latest arrests continue the government crackdown on dissent and an ability of activists to protest. Just last month, the Cambodian government passed new laws to severely restrict the rights of workers to organise and take action. Um, Yes, very important there to follow what's happening. Um, On our last uh, news item, we go to Iran, where we've got um, slightly good news, um, I made bad news or very sad news. Uh, Mahmoud Beheshi Langrudi, the spokesperson of the Iranian Teachers Trade Association, who was on hunger strike for the last three weeks, was actually released from prison, temporarily released from prison, uh, last week due to the fact that his uh, health was seriously deteriorating, so now he's in hospital. Um, at the same time, Ismail Abdi, also from the Teachers uh, Union, and Jafar Azimzadeh, who is the chair of the Free Union of Iranian Workers, have also been on hunger strike since the end of uh, of April, and they're still in jail. The um, as people, as listeners would know, the the teachers um, in Iran have been incredibly active throughout 2015 and this year but they've faced terrible um, repression so um, um, what we are seeing now is that the Islamic Republic government is actually imposing lengthy prison sentences on teachers and, uh, and other activists to actually um, crush 
the um, a new working class movement in Iran. So um, we'll certainly provide you more um, information in the next couple of days on our website and also how to uh, take uh, solidarity action and write um, to these um, workers and to the government of Iran. That is the news from around the region. Just before we go into um, some community announcements and then our feature story for the week, um, a big thank you to everybody who attended last night's AAWL fundraiser where we screened the act of killing. Um, it was a very successful um, evening. We made uh, $440, so a very big thank you to everybody who participated. There will be more um, video screenings in the coming weeks, so do stay tuned for the details of that and please come along to support us and to support the work that we do across Asia. And if I can just add, I just think the the film itself was in, incredibly... Um, uh, well, fascinating to say, although incredibly sad at the same time. So, if really. you do get a chance to see the act of killing, uh, please, please do. All right, we'll go to a couple of community announcements. Now we'll be back with our main interview about the um, the strike in the Cavite export processing zone in the Philippines. Three CR, always bringing you the latest union news. They're coming after us at the moment. They want to get rid of penalty rates, the big push from businesses. They want to get rid of all the things that you and I have fought for. So there's tens of thousands of jobs gone, contracted out to sham contracting arrangements. On 8.55am and on the web, 3cr.org.au. It's 10 minutes past nine o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. We brought you um, some stories over the last couple of weeks about some striking Filipino workers that have been employed by Sungyong Technology Industries. Uh, this is a Korean um, factory in the Cavite export processing zone, which is the biggest export processing zone in um, in the Philippines. They went on an indefinite strike in the middle of April and the dispute culminated in those workers occupying the factory last week. I spoke with Arnel. He is a union organiser with the Labour Party of the Philippines. Starts off by talking a little bit about what Sangyong Technology, or CITIC as the acronym is, uh, about what that um, company manufactures, and then we talk a little bit about uh, the dispute and how everything unfolded. Yeah, they're part of the electronics industry supply chain. They actually make plastic products that are used for storage and shipping of uh, semiconductor parts. What was the dispute about? Uh, the dispute at uh, uh, S-Y-T-I-C or Saitik or Songyun that's how they pronounce the name uh, involves the issue of uh, the right to unionize or freedom of association and also violations of labor standards so the workers at Saitik uh, were not being paid the right wages or part of the wages were not paid in cash but in kind in the form of meals they were not paid overtime because of an illegal compressed work week schedule and then there were uh, issues of occupational health and safety 
in, in because of though in order to redress those issues they formed the union and then when uh, management learned of that uh, workers were terminated and harassed and so that's how uh, the dispute uh, started and escalated and of course um, the workers were eventually locked out of the factory and management brought in scab labor ah uh, yes at the like at the second round of the struggle uh, the factory shut down and then the workers were locked out of work but they <clears throat> in response they occupied their factory for like more uh, uh, for around 24 hours in order to force negotiations and a resolution of the dispute. Before we look at the factory occupation and the outcome and the lessons, I wanted to get a sense of the export processing zone and the conditions and the laws in general in those areas because countries don't set up export processing zones if they can't uh, provide enough incentive for the capitalists with some kind of suspension of the labour laws of the country. Yeah, the export processing zone in Cavite is actually the biggest one in the Philippines. It is managed uh, by the state, by the government. So it's it's unlike most other export zones, the majority of which now are... Uh, privately uh, built and managed. So there are around 60,000 workers uh, in the Cavite Export Processing Zone or for short, they call it the Cavite EPSA. Okay. And while tech, of course, by law, uh, all labor laws and standards must be followed within the export processing zone. But it is a fact that many violations do happen and then labor unions are discouraged or suppressed uh, as a way of uh, guaranteeing uh, the operations and profitability of the companies that are locating within the export zones. So would it be the case that the mere fact that these workers were able to set up a union is in itself some kind of victory because of how widely um, unions are discouraged in this area? Yeah, yeah. The, the formation of the union at CITIC is just a few of the attempts to form unions within specifically the COVID export zones. Uh, many earlier attempts have been foiled, although because it has been it has been there for quite a while, more than ten years or so. So this issue was about uh, wages and conditions, and when we say conditions, I think we're talking about um, contractualization versus non-contractualization. Um, and then occupational health and safety issues. So that's what the dispute was fought over. And then the workers have occupied the factory for a period of time. What happened next? Well, uh, immediately after the Labor Department learned of the occupation, the workers 
force themselves inside the factory around the morning. Uh, they were actually on their second day or third day of the lockout then. So when the Export Zone Administration and later the Labor Department learned of the direct action of the workers, they, they first sent a what's called a local PES, EPSA police, and then somebody from the Labor Relations Department or the Anti-Union Department of the Export Zone Authority to talk to the workers. They, they left immediately without doing anything to the workers. And then uh, formal negotiations started later when there was a representative from the Export Zone Authority and then the Labor Department. It was a marathon negotiations that went on almost the whole day. And one, the workers were denied, uh, the, the workers requested for a counsel for somebody to assist them in the negotiations and that was denied. So the negotiations went on just between the workers and the representatives of those two government agencies inside the factory. And then second, uh, the workers were like double teamed by the representatives from the Export Zone Authority and the Labor Department. They alternately threatened the workers with cases for occupying the factory. And they, while they were extending an offer, an improved offer of separation pay and additional uh, like uh, claims for the unpaid overtime. Uh, after, after hours of negotiations, they finally wore down the workers and the, the workers accepted uh, the offer of separation, after which they left the factory. So was there a union representative or anybody like that to support and defend the workers, or were they literally negotiating just on their own? No, they were on their own. They, the workers requested for assistance, but that assistance was denied. So nobody else was allowed to enter the factory to be able to assist the workers in the negotiations. So they were basically ambushed and with not a lot of experience at the time of this particular dispute, they, um, they, they basically responded to the pressure. Yes, yes, so this was happened. The, the workers who formed the unit were... Uh, this process started maybe a month ago when they sought the help of uh, union organizers from the Labour Party or Partido ng Manggagawa. So they, they did not go through like a, a long process of seminars or education. So they knew very little about the labor laws and all those process. So everything was uh, along the way when they had to strike the first time around they we they they were counseled just days before they had to launch the strike so everything was uh on the go so especially in the negotiations when they were being threatened with occupy with uh with cases for the occupation of course they were they were sort of afraid 
even though well before we were telling them that this is a labor dispute and uh, you, you could not be arrested without any violence occurring and then the police could not be intervened without any violence occurring in the picket line or during the occupation. I think there are some very important victories to remember in this dispute, even though ultimately the workers probably walked away with less than what they were asking for. And one of them, I think, sounds like that these workers have become politicised in the process of this dispute. Yes, yes, that is true. So when we first met these workers, they were, of course, started just with uh, being angry at management for the abuses and for the violations that have happened. They, They knew very little about the relations between uh, the capitalists and workers, they were actually, uh, they actually had the illusion that their enemy was just the manager, not the employer or capitalist himself. They knew like little about the relations between the labor department, the eco zone, the export zone administration, the government itself with regards to labor rights. And especially their own power to be able, their own uh, the, the power of the workers to force management to concede to their demands. They were actually thinking of first bringing their issues to a uh, there's a there's a television program here where you could report abuses uh, and they will like uh, publicize it. And uh, in that way, government officials will act on those complaints by people. So we're thinking maybe that's the way to do it instead of acting on their own and then on the basis of their unity and action, uh, winning victories. There's, although, well, in the process, they, they did learn a lot. Although, <clears throat> of course, up until the end, we course knew that they had doubts, they, they doubted their own power, they doubted their own capacity to win. And so they finally like uh, agreed to a settlement that was uh, less than what they could have achieved if they uh, continued on fighting. And do you think that now that they've got the experience of this dispute, that they have an appetite for more disputes and to support and educate other workers based on their new experience? Yes, I think specifically for the workers of Saitik or Songyun, well, after they agreed to the deal, or agreement, uh, we were surprised that they uh, uh, met us as a group. And then they, of course, explained what had happened and ultimately why they agreed. And then we told them, of course, we understood their situation. Most, dispute actual, most disputes actually end up with workers accepting separation pay. Uh, doesn't cost much for the capitalists and the workers get something and then they move on with their lives. 
but they expressed the point that well, <clears throat> they wanted to continue as a group so they continued they wanted to continue uh, communicating with uh, PM so they continue could continue as a group okay so whatever happens if they do get reemployed as promise although without that or they move on and uh, work in other factories they will continue to maintain their group and so that's that's like the terms of engagement we now have with them and from the very start we told them that uh, we want to win this dispute and it's not just because it's it's what's right for you but by winning victories we can inspire other workers within the export zone authority to fight and that's that's the only way to change the conditions at the export zone it's by workers uniting and fighting and then winning on victories until <clears throat> we we've changed a whole lot of the of the what what presently exists at the export zone well um i it's i think it's important to report on some of our losses as well as the victories and even though i think technically we would call this one a loss, um, although some demands were met, I think there were many lessons and um, future prospects that we can get from this dispute. Yes, I think so too. For, specifically for the Saitic workers, they they held out for the first strike for five days. That That's, I think, much longer than any other previous strikes at the export zone. Second, they like march around the export zone together with other uh, two other unions within the export zone uh, to knock on the, the other other factories and leaflet uh, and talk to the workers who were on their way home after work. So and then finally, of course, for the first time within specifically the export zone in Cavite, they occupy the factory. Okay? So <clears throat> all those experiences, I'm sure, will not be lost. And the next big uh, dispute or fight within the export zone in Cavite will build upon those experiences. Arnel, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you too, Giselle. This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55 a.m., Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change. 27 minutes past nine o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. You're listening to Asia Pacific Currents. Uh, just in the closing minutes of the program, I want to uh, plug the Moreland anti-racism demonstration, which is coming up on Saturday the 28th of May. That's 11 o'clock. It's kicking off at the Coburg Library, um, which is off 
a Sydney road. It won't be hard to find. 11 o'clock on Saturday the 28th of May, a really, really important event to get to. And we understand that there is some challenge to that event. So, And when I say a challenge, I mean by far right-wing forces, fascist forces, um, and particularly the uh, True Blue crew and, and some other UPFers that we've been working against. They're, they're outright fascist, Islamophobes, racist. So get along to that rally to defend our space, to defend our right to, to fight against racism. And can I just add about that um, rally? The good thing about the well, there's many good things about that rally, but also that it um, it, it it actually um, puts together the three main racism strands in Australian uh, history and Australian culture, i.e., against um, Aboriginal people, against refugees, uh, and against uh, Muslim people. So it's a it really it brings the three strands together, which I think is a, is very good. Um, I don't think you back uh, announced the interview. I thought it was clear. I spoke with Arnell, who's from the Labor Party of the Philippines, and we were talking about the uh, recent struggle at the Cavite export processing zone in the Philippines. Maybe I was just zoning out, and maybe <laughs> listeners can think, oh, well, Pierre's was just that's getting, getting over, old. Over the hill, we know that, listeners. That's right, that's right. But- uh, coming up next is um, Palestine Remembered. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next Saturday from 9 o'clock with more news and current affairs from the Asia-Pacific region. I'm Giselle Hanna. And I'm Pierre Mora, and we'll see you um, next week. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.